Alt introduction. <laughs> that was good. <laughs> Did you guys have a good Thanksgiving? That's good. I was hoping I wasn't going to ask that and you'd be like, eh. <laughs> but I feel like the temperature of the room is kind of like chill, right? Like worship was kind of chill and it was good. We kind of needed it to be chill. So I'm going to throw you a, what's the, I don't, I don't sports things much. The underhand, is that a, not a, not a curveball. I'm going to throw you a, a lob. I'm going to lob one up for you because I know sports things. <laughs> So here's just a quick question for you. Is it possible to do Christianity and not believe in Jesus? That was a surprisingly fast yes at one point <laughs> that I was not expecting. Here's the thing. I used to, so not at this job because I work at the church right now, and if someone at the church, the church leadership believed this, this would be problematic. But I, a previous job I had, there was a, a coworker I had who used to say, I'm a Christian. I just don't believe in Jesus. I'm like, okay, uh, I don't think that word means what you think it means, <laughs> right? Like, and like, I, I have this Bible college background, so like, I have all this Greek and Hebrew behind me, and I'm like, I don't even need a pull from that. It's just not a thing, right? Like, there are people who don't know who Jesus is, maybe some of you are here that don't know who Jesus is, and you're like, yeah, pretty sure that's not how that works, right? Like, Christian literally means little Christ, which implies Jesus, right? Okay, so I don't have to convince anyone here that you can't do Christian without Jesus, right? That's not a thing. Uh, I think I have a slide for this, if I have a slide. Do I have a clicker? I just want to channel Kurt today and be like, where's my clicker? <laughs> okay, I don't have a slide. That's fine. No worries. But yeah, here's what the slide says. Can you do Christianity without Jesus? No. Aren't you glad I made a slide for that? <laughs> but here's the thing, is we do this all the time, right? Like, it's so, it's possible to do church and use, like, solid business practices and, like, grow a church and completely ignore Jesus. It's possible to read the scriptures and be like, okay, cool, I get it. Be a good person. I'm just going to be a good person. I'm going to try real hard. I'm going to treat people nice. Do good things. And you can live a Christian life without Jesus at all. It's possible to come together as a church and be like, we're finding fullness in something bigger than ourselves. Yeah, we're a community. We love each other. And, and just completely disregard Jesus. In fact, it's even possible to do pastoring without Jesus, if you can believe it. In my previous life, to be clear, I'm talking about my current life, but in a previous career. <laughs> Don't believe in reincarnation. We're not getting weird this morning. In a previous life, I was a youth pastor, and I just want to cut you off right now and say I'm not interested in being a youth pastor in the future, so don't ask me. In the previous life, I was a youth pastor, and I used to spend hours wrestling with the scriptures. I just, I wanted the kids to fall in love with Jesus, and I, I wanted to find everything in there that would get them to do that. Good heart, right? Like, anyone would, would hear that and say, that's the kind of youth pastor I want, someone who wants my kids to fall in love with Jesus. Thank you very much. But I went about it in a very secular way. I have my Bible college background, so I can just pull from all of this knowledge without even really thinking. I can read, like, 
uh, read a passage of scripture that I've already studied in the original language and go, I know what this means. All right, this will work. And I'm just shoveling my Bible college knowledge to the youth. Or I can, I can rely on my cleverness and be like, oh, I'll tell a good joke, a good goof that's going to get them to pay attention. And I, I crafted these sermons that were so perfect. And in the end, I, you know, I, think, I hope I made a difference. I, I shared some good stuff. Those kids knew some, like, foundational Bible things. Hopefully they know how to be a good person, how to run a church with good business practices. But in the end... It never even occurred to me to, like, ask Jesus what he wants me to talk about, which is crazy, right? So even though it's ridiculous that we would do Christianity without Jesus, this thing that I'm calling secular Christianity, which, yes, is an oxymoron and ridiculous, even though we say that's not a thing, it's possible to live like it is. And I don't have to tell you that we deal with sin this way too, right? Like, we go, oh, I have a problem with a computer, a computer sin, pornography, whatever. And so I'm just going to put a program on my computer so I, I don't have to deal with that. Or like, I'll just stop using computers. I don't know if that's a thing. But like, we, we go, oh, sin is hard, so I'm just going to like work around it. Or like, whenever I talk to someone, I get angry. And so I'm just going to stop talking to that person. I'm just going to avoid it. Or I'm just going to try really hard, and I'm going to willpower my way out of sin. So clearly, secular Christianity is not what God intended. Do I have to convince anyone of that this morning? I don't think so. Good. We're all on the same page. This is good. It would be very concerning if people were like, yeah, you can. I don't know who's yelling with that weird accent, but it turns out that there's a better way to live, right? And it turns out that this better way to live makes this secular Christianity thing feels so superficial, so strange, so pointless. And in fact, it makes it seem difficult. So that's where we're headed this morning. We have Scott Chin praying. I'm so excited. I love Scott. He interviewed me, and he was the first person that made me feel like, oh, maybe I don't have this. <laughs> but he even in the interview, he challenged me in ways that I've now brought into the ministry I'm doing right now, and it's, it's made me a better leader as a result. So, Scott, thank you. Pray for us, uh, pray for me, and lift up another church. And Kevin, we love you. <laughs> All right, let's pray. Father God, we come before you um, asking that you would plow our hearts. Um, as you um, disrupted Kevin this week, that you uh, had him set aside uh, what um, may be pulling from his um, education, um, pulling from what he would know and be, would be convenient, but Lord, you had something different for us. Mm -hmm. um, I can already tell, Lord, that this is about uh, the depth of our understanding so that we might encounter you afresh. Lord, I ask that you would speak powerfully through Kevin this morning. Thank you. That the seeds, uh, just he's been sowing for years, Lord, that they would find fertile soil in our hearts. And, Lord, that it would bear a harvest mm -hmm. a thousandfold in the weeks and months and years to come. Thank you, Lord. Lord, we uh, also lift up uh, all of our brothers and sisters 
who are uh, our formal missionaries and our informal missionaries mm. serving all around the globe. Um, and through you, Lord, uh, church with a capital C, that's what we pray for, that your will be done um, here and uh, every part of, of the Lake Sam family. Uh, we give you our lives each and every day. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks for praying. It's funny that in this room we're like, oh, I survived Thanksgiving, just let me chill for a minute. And then we just hear in the other room, Clearly your kids don't agree. <laughs> so uh, do I have a PowerPoint at this point? Okay, no worries. Do, if I give you the slide to put up, hey, I, we'll do that. Oh, yeah, there's my slide. Uh, no, you can't do Christianity without believing in Jesus. Okay, cool. Then I, This is great because I was about to do some scripture stuff, and it's a lot harder if you don't have it in front of you. Uh, okay, so if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn to the book of Colossians. If you don't have your Bible, I have it on the screen, so it's fine. So we've been in this Empowered series for like forever, and which the majority of the Empowered series has been going through the book of Luke, looking at Jesus' life and seeing how it uh, empowers us to be filled with the Holy Spirit and do as Jesus did. So we're taking a slight break from Luke but I'm still using the empowered template because what we're talking about is very much what it means to be empowered. But we're in Colossians instead. And Colossians is one of my favorite books of the Bible, which you hear me say about every single book of the Bible I preach from. I love Colossians. But for real, though, it's like Colossians, Philippians, Ephesians, and Isaiah are like my favorites. And John, the Corinthians are great. James, Okay, so all the books of the Bible are good, but for real, the Colossians is awesome, and you'll, you'll see why, when you see why, you'll be like, oh, it is awesome. Kevin was right. He wasn't just saying that. Colossians is great. And one, the point of Colossians is Paul is writing this letter to the church in the Colossian church, and he uh, is writing to them because they've been, they've been doing church, and philosophers have come in and swayed them away from Jesus. And they've convinced them it's what's called secular humanism, the idea that uh, you don't actually need God to be a good person. You can, just, you can just accomplish life yourself, and you can figure it out on your own. And so Paul's writing to them, and he does this typical like, letter format. He's like, hey, I'm Paul. I'm an apostle. And then he does like a prayer. If you read the, the New Testament letters, all, almost all of them have like, here's who I am. Here's a prayer for you. And then here's like a, a greetings kind of thing. And then immediately after, he kind of hits him with this. It's in Colossians 1.15. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else, and he holds all creation together. Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. He is the beginning, supreme over all who rise from the dead. So he is first in everything. For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ, and through him God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. Thank you. You did the thing that I was, did when I read this, just, oh, wow, that's awesome. 
That like, that feels like I could just put that up as a worship song and just be like, that. Oh, it's so good, right? This is, by the way, one of the most important scriptures in all of the New Testament. That is a bold claim, and I believe it. This Put this up with Philippians 2 about Jesus emptying himself, Acts 1 about the Holy Spirit coming down, and Jesus' resurrection. And that's like the important parts of the New Testament. This is so, so important that we understand this and we know it. This is like pure theology. This is like God revealing a little bit more about Jesus that before this letter we didn't actually know. Well, we kind of could imply, but he actually explicitly says it. It's Jesus. He existed before anything was created. He did all of the things. He made all the things. God went through him and made all the things. He's the head of everything. The, uh, in verse 18, it says he's first in everything. Like the literal like Greek translation is he's the firstborn of all creation. And so the Hebrew people would say to themselves, we are the firstborn because God spoke to us and he gives us the blessing and that we get to be a blessing to the world. And Paul is like, okay, sure, you're the firstborn of the nations, I guess, but Jesus is the firstborn over all creation. So he's like a big deal. Like he's the, another way we could say that is he's like the chief of all creation or the master of all creation. And so that's a really important thing we have to understand about Jesus. He's the firstborn. But then there's more in this. There's a lot in this that we're not going to cover all of it. But another really important part is in verse 20, God reconciled everything to himself. Reconcile. What does that mean? It means that we were with Jesus at one point. We were with God. We were one. And then we weren't anymore. And then he did a thing. And because of the thing he did, we're now with him again. Reconciling is taking something broken and fixing it. It's, I could throw it away and start over, but instead I'm going to take the thing that broke and I'm going to work on it instead. That's reconciling. So we have Jesus is the firstborn. He created all the things. He reconciled all things to himself with his blood shed on the cross. Got it? Those are the important truths coming out of this. So he, what, what Paul does in this letter is he's going to take this, this most important, one of the most important scriptures of the New Testament, he's going to lay it out for us, and he's, gonna, he's now going to start building on it. So here's what he builds. Whoops, here's broke, uh, reconcile. Take something broken and fix it. We were with him, then we weren't. He reconciled, so now we're with him again. Cool. Maybe. There we go. Okay, so this is 2. We're moving ahead. And now, just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to follow him. Let your roots grow down into him and let your lives be built in him. Then your faith will go strong in the truth you were taught and you will overflow with thankfulness. Don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense that come from human thinking and from the spiritual powers of this world rather than in Christ. For in Christ lives all the fullness of God in a human body. And further down in verse 13, you were dead because of your sins and because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive in Christ, for he forgave all your sins. He canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. So again, you like read that and you're just like, oh, so good. Or maybe you're like, 
I don't get it. It's not, I'm sure it's great, but I don't get it. Let me explain it to you. It, do you notice the theme of, of those, those verses? Here's a hint. In Christ. He says it like 11 billion times in Colossians and another like trillion times in Ephesians. I do hyperbole. That's the thing I do. You have to know that or else this will be really confusing. Exactly. It's trillions and billions. So in Christ, that's the important part of Colossians. If you could summarize the whole book in just the, in like one phrase, it's that, in Christ. He's saying, okay, so Jesus is the firstborn of all creation. Okay, he made all the things, everything, you, me, stuff, bananas, whatever. He made all the things. He reconciled all the things. So he's brought everything back. And because of that, we get to be in Christ. So it's in a sense, if, if I were to be like, hey, Paul, what, well, let's do the secular Christianity thing. Like, let's do Christianity without Jesus. He's like, don't do that. That's dumb. Be in Christ instead. It's kind of the opposite of that. So uh, when I was, uh, so I was at Lake Sam, I've been at Lake Sam for a while, like six-ish years. I guess for some of you, you're like, that's not that long, but so I've been a volunteer at Lake Sam for quite a while, and there was, there was a time while I was serving here where I was doing a ton of stuff. Like three or four times a week, I was volunteering, and it was awesome. And in the midst of that, God spoke to me and said, it's time to take a break. You've been doing a lot. Now I want you to rest. And so I was like, great. I, I love rest, so I'm going to do it. And so I, I stopped doing the ministry, a lot of the ministry stuff I was doing, which is why you didn't see me leading worship as much. I wasn't doing, we weren't doing steering team stuff as much. Like, there's just less Kevin at Lake Sam, which, in my opinion, is usually a good thing. Um, so I took a, a rest, but I kind of took it too far. <laughs> I, st I kinda was like, oh, this feels really good to, to, not have, to not have to serve, which, by the way, that's kind of weird thinking. Uh, we get to serve. But like, I'm like, oh, this is kind of nice that I don't have to serve. You know, I guess I'm going to skip my devotions today. Uh-huh. Yeah. Not so great. And I just started living life. You know, I went to Bible college, so I know like the Bible stuff. I don't need to read it. I got it. And you, you just kind of like, I just kind of carry it with me. I'm like, all right, we're just going to do life. And life was okay. The job I was at was fine. Like I wasn't exciting, but it was fine. Like, my marriage was fine. Nothing bad happened. It was okay. Like, I had hobbies, and it was fine. They were, I, they were, they were okay. They were great. But it was just kind of fine. It was okay. It was secular Christianity. And then one day, I, I kind of had this realization of, like, I haven't actually opened the Bible in a long time. I probably should do that. That's good. I don't know why. It just it seems like a good thing I should do. And so I went to lakesam.org, soap, uh, seriously, I did this. I'm not just advertising for soap. Uh, and I went to, like, what's today's soap and, like, opened it up, and I did a devotion in the morning. And all of a sudden, like, it felt like life was a little bit different. I was like, oh, okay. Like, it's better than fine. Things are actually, like, good. And then I would, that spurred me to do another devotion, and then another, and then another, and another. I started getting back in the habit of daily devotions. And it was weird because I know that there's, like, this, like, magic Christianity that we preach. We're like, if you come to Jesus, then he's going to make all your problems disappear, and life is going to be perfect and glorious. And I, again, I don't know who this voice is that does this accent. But, <laughs> but there's this version of Christianity that we've created, that, like, everything will be perfect if we just follow him. And that's actually not accurate, so I'm not saying that. 
But what I'm saying is that my conversations had a little more vibrancy. I kind of was aware that Jesus was here with me in my day-to-day. I, I could have a difficult conversation with someone, and I could actually, I was aware enough to ask, hey, Jesus, do you want me to, do you want to use me in this conversation? Do you have something to say? What should I say to this person? And it just kind of brought things out. I was, I started living pretty frantically. Like I was so scared that I was going to get fired. And if I got fired, it meant I would lose my house. And if I lost my house, then Anna's not going to want to marry me anymore. So she's going to be out. So like everything was on the line, right? Like, and so I was just so desperate to figure life out. But the more time I spent with Jesus, the more he would say, I got this. It's fine. You're going to be okay. I'm in control. And he didn't put it to me at the time, but filtering it through Colossians, you could go, oh, right. You're the firstborn of all creation. You made all the things. I, I think you're, uh, if, if, if you have a plan, I guess I can trust that. Like, you're bigger than me losing my job, which I didn't do, by the way. So that fear was unfounded. It was almost like I was living life through, like, an Instagram filter that made everything kind of, like, dull and I felt like God removed that filter through, through spending time with him, and everything was vibrant. And that's how life is supposed to be, being in Christ. It's funny, because we come here on Sunday morning and we do worship, and we expect God to do something in worship, right? Like, the music's happening, the band's on stage, we're like, God, do something in this moment. That's a, very, a common thing, we expect it. But what we don't expect is when I'm sitting at work on Monday morning, like the sa- in, in the same posture of worship to be like, God, do something here. I expect you to move. And yet what, what Paul is asking us to do in Colossians is to be in Christ. Don't do secular Christianity. Be in Christ. And when you do that, you can expect God to move. So that's, he lays that on the, on, on the foundation. So now we've built this, this, whatever we're building. We're building a thing. And he's going to continue on that in chapter 3. Since you've been raised to new life with Christ, a literal translation is in Christ, uh, set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. For you died to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the world, then you will share in all his glory. So put to death the sinful, earthly things lurking within you. And then there's a list of all the sinful, earthly things lurking within you. I don't have to read. It's up on the screen. So, because he's the firstborn of all creation, because he reconciled all things to himself, and because you're in Christ, you can actually deal with your inner stuff. That's kind of cool. In fact, if it weren't for the most important uh, verse in the New Testament, this would be really difficult. And it would be actually kind of cruel for Paul to say that because essentially he'd be saying, hey, I know you can't change yourself, but go ahead and change yourself. That's what I'm asking you to do. Oh, not just be a good person. I want you to be transformed from the inside out. And if, if it weren't for being able to be in Christ, if he didn't reconcile us, if he wasn't the firstborn of all creation, if that wasn't true, we couldn't do it. Straight up couldn't do it. In, in fact, uh, Paul puts it this, in a slightly different place in a different letter. This is the book of Romans, which, again, uh, is one of my favorite books of the Bible. <laughs> if, 
Like, when people first become a Christian, we give them the book of John to read, like, read the gospel of John because you understand Jesus. And I get why we do that. That's, that's pretty cool. But I really think people should read the book of Romans because it's the most, like, here's what Christianity is. Chapter 1, this is Christianity. Chapter 2, here's more. Chapter 3, here's more. It's awesome. But Paul, in a specific part of, or of Romans, he says this. Well, then, since God's grace has set us free from the law, does that mean we can go on sinning? Of course not. Don't you realize that you become the slave of whatever you choose to obey? You can be a slave to sin, which leads to death, or you can choose to obey God, which leads to righteous living. Or literally, we clean it up because it doesn't sound as pretty because it's the metaphor of slavery, but he literally, this could be translated, you can be a slave to sin, which leads to death, or you can be a slave to God, which leads to righteousness. Thank God, once you were slaves of sin, but now you wholeheartedly obey this teaching we've given you, you are now free from your slavery to sin, and you've become slaves to righteous living. So here's the idea. At one point, we were slaves to sin. And when you're a slave, you have no choice. You will obey your master. And when Jesus reconciled us, when he died, we also died. And when he rose again, we also rose again. And we're no longer a slave to sin. We now get to be a slave to something else. I was hesitant to share this, but I think I'm gonna. <laughs> you take me seriously as an adult, right? So there's this show that I love called Pokemon. Yeah. You didn't know you were getting a Pokemon education this morning. So enough people at this church I've had individual conversations with that don't know what this is. I'm going to explain it really quick. Pokemon is a show and a video game series and a whole bunch of other stuff where the idea is the world is inhabited by these little monsters, these adorable little cute creatures called Pokemon. And people can uh, catch them and love them and raise them and, oh yeah, fight with them. <laughs> like have them battle each other. Those people are called trainers. And if you're a trainer, your goal is either to catch all of them, like one of each species. Thank you. Got to catch them all. That's a th in the theme song. So for those of you who are lost, that's why that's a thing. Or it's to be the best trainer in the world. Are you going to sing that part? There you go. That's literally the first line of the theme song. Thank you. I'm so glad you did that because I was going to and then I didn't. <laughs> So in the Pokemon series, you have these, these Pokemon, these little monsters that, that trainers can catch and they can battle each other. And in the, the show, there's these two kind of factions. Factions is kind of weird. One is a small boy, a trainer named Ash. And he wants to be the very best. He wants to catch them all. He wants to be the best Pokemon trainer in the world. He's the protagonist of the story. The antagonists are Team Rocket. And they're an evil organization that wants to steal Pokemon from everyone so no one can use them. Rawr! It's like net neutrality for Pokemon. <laughs> That's as controversial as I'm going to be. Because <laughs> we're talking about Pokemon. So there's a story, or there's a, uh, an episode of the show where Ash has all these Pokemon and they get lost. He loses them. And at the same time, some of Team Rocket's Pokemon get lost as well. And so these two enemy groups find themselves lost in the wood without their masters. And they're trying to navigate like, well, how did this happen? What do we do? 
And one of Team Rocket's Pokemon, and by the way, I was going to show this as a video clip, but Pokemon literally, like, when they talk, they just say their name over and over. And so this, what I, I'm about to describe a clip, but if I were to show you, it would literally be like one of them going, Bulbasaur, Bulbasaur, Pikachu. And, like, there'd be this, like, deep conversation happening. <laughs> and I felt like that took away, so I'm just going to describe this episode instead. So these Pokemon are lost. They're trying to figure out life. And the Team Rocket Pokemon, one of them is like, hey, there's Ash's Pokemon. Let's get him. We can beat him now because Ash is gone. And the, the other Team Rocket Pokemon are like, nah, no, we're not doing that. He's like, come on, this is our moment. Let's get him. No, you're not, you're not our master, so you don't get to tell us what to do. He's like, well, I don't have to be your master. I'm smarter than our master. I mean, look at them. They're ridiculous. I'm way better than your master. And besides, we're evil. This is what we do. We beat up good Pokemon. They're good. We're evil. Let's beat them up. And they go, actually, we're not evil. I'm like, what are you talking about? Of course you're evil. You do evil things all the time. They go, yeah, we do evil things. But we're not evil. We only do what our master does. And our masters are evil. So we do evil things. But it's not because we're evil. It's because we obey our master. So we're not going to listen to you. And we're not going to be evil because we're not evil. You never thought the Pokemon was going to give you a heartfelt response, did you? <laughs> but that's where we live. We, li we just do what our masters does. We're not evil. Sure, we can talk the theological truth of whether man is evil, good or evil, inherently or whatever, but I'm not really interested in that. The point is, we were a slave to sin, so we had no choice. We had to obey that master. But Jesus died on the cross, and he reconciled us. He brought us back to him, and he set us free from being a slave to sin. Now we're a slave to righteousness, or more accurately, we're a slave to God. So we get to obey that master now. So as a result of that, we get to be in Christ and we get to actually deal with our stuff. So marriage, as you know, if you're married, is hard, right? <laughs> I think if anyone tells you marriage is easy, they haven't been married long enough because marriage is actually really hard. And if I think this has been said, uh, I think Kurt said this before, but maybe not. There's research that shows that a sign of a healthy marriage is not how much you fight, but it's how you fight. So if you fight all the time, but you are like generally respectful of each other, you'll kind of do okay. Whereas if you rarely fight, but when you do fight, you like bite each, like not literally bite each other, but you're like biting sarcasm, you're like tearing each other down, and like I'm, I know how to, I know what'll get you, I'm gonna win this one. Then like there's a good chance that your marriage is headed for disaster. So in my marriage, usually, not all the time, but usually when Johanna and I fight, She's treating me with respect, and I'm a monster. <laughs> and, and so I, like, we'll, we'll start fighting, and I'll be like, oh, I got, I got her. She's going to have to bend to my will, but when I hit her with this one, and I'll say a thing, and it's, like, super mean and super, like, sarcastic, and, and then she cries, and then I'm like, okay, I guess I've lost. <laughs> but it, when we have those moments, usually what happens is we'll have a big explosive fight, and then we'll go, like, okay, we need a timeout. This isn't working. Let's go away and calm down. And in those moments, often, now, when I'm at my best, in those moments, I'll, I'll actually involve God in what we're doing. 
and I'll, we'll, we'll be in our separate corners or whatever, separate rooms, and I'll go, Jesus, I know you're here, and, you know, I want to get it right, so change your heart. Because <laughs> I know you can do that. That's the thing you do. And I know I'm right, so this would be so much easier if you just come before me, <laughs> be a hedge of protection around me, <laughs> change your heart. And not always, but nine times out of ten, more than that, if like nine and a half times out of ten, God, do, God does show up, but not the way that I asked him to. God usually changes my heart. And not in a, oh, you wanted to do this, I wanted to do that, so God changed my heart, so we're going to do what you want. But God changed my heart in a way where it's, I no longer care about the outcome of the fight. I just care about my wife. I just love her. I just want what's best for her. And you know, maybe we do tie this week or whatever, whatever we're going to fight about. But that's less important, but the way I treated her was not okay. And a transformation begins to happen because I am in Christ. It's not just this external, I'm going to be a better person. Next time we fight, I'm just going to not be mean because that will get you so far, but it'll, it won't actually make the difference. It actually is like a transformative thing where I don't actually want to go to that place anymore. I actually don't want to be biting and sarcastic anymore. And in the heat of the moment, that's not an option to me because I'm now a slave to this other thing and I make a different choice. So we now have Pokemon thrown in the mix. I don't know how we're going to get back to Colossians, but we're going to get back to Colossians. So then the, the third part, the next part that Paul um, builds on this foundation. Since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tenderhearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourself with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts for as members of one body, you were called to live in peace and always be thankful. So, because he's firstborn over all creation, because he created the world and all the things, and because he reconciled everything to himself, and because we're now in Christ, and because we can now put to death whatever belongs to our earthly nature, he can actually like transform us into new people. Now we can talk about family, community talking about, like, how do we actually interact with each other? And in secular Christianity, we do this thing where we go, oh, we just have similar spiritual DNA, right? You've heard this a version of this before, right? Where it's like, we sort of believe the same things, and we, we basically get along, so we're good until we're not. Until uh, we get, have a disagreement or until a difficult person comes into our circle, and then, we, and then we either, what most of us decide when we do the secular Christian anything, we just go, oh, I thought we were similar spiritual DNA, but actually you're not, you're out. And there's a lot of problems with this, of course, but one of the problems is the stakes get so high when we try and do community this way. Because if, if like, we just have to be the same spiritual DNA, and it, it, then we have a difficult conversation, that difficult conversation could end to you have to find a new church. That's crazy to me. Like, hey, we're all a family, right? Until you disagree with me. And then 
you need to find a new family. You're now an orphan. Like, what? <laughs> that's bananas. And yet, that's what we do. Fortunately, I think we're actually okay at this here at Lake Sam. Okay. I don't think we're great at it, but I think we're okay. We're not quite at secular sp Christianity level. <laughs> I know. <laughs> the standard is really low. But if we're in Christ, we make a different choice. It's not about sharing the same spiritual DNA. It's about clothing ourselves with mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. It means we're going to make allowance for each other's faults. You see how that's different? Like, the tendency is, you're broken, so I'm going to fix you. But that's not what this seems to suggest. Let's make allowance for each other's faults. Let's give each other a safe space to be. Let's forgive us, each other, anyone who offends. Let's clothe ourselves with love. Let's be, I don't know, one. Let's be one. It's like Jesus reconciled. He took something broken, and he fixed it. He didn't throw it out. He fixed it. And in that same way, when we're in Christ, guess what we do with each other? We reconcile. We take these broken relationships and we fix them. We don't throw them away. We don't find a new faith community. We fix it. And it's actually possible because we're actually in Christ. So we're dead to our old stuff and we're alive to this new reality. So when I was in college, I was uh, my junior year of college, Johanna and I uh, had just gotten engaged. And so I knew it was going to be a, a busy year. It was also junior year of college, which is typically when things ramp up. You start taking your, like, main classes for your major. And I was, at the time, they switched the program halfway through my junior year, but at the time, you had multiple majors. And so I was a double major and a double minor. I was an overachiever is the name for that. Uh, so I, I had a ton of classes that I was doing. And I decided like near the end of my sophomore year, that like, I want to do something more because I'm crazy. And so I decided I wanted to be on ASB, which is like the student body, student government or whatever. Uh, but I didn't want to be the president because for a lot of reasons, but the biggest one is like, there's a, there's a time commitment to that, that I just couldn't do with being engaged and being a junior. So I decided I want to be the vice president, which is cool. Uh, and it's actually like, I won't, I won't go into the details of what it entails now, but like when you look at vice president of ASB at Life Pacific College in 2003, and then you look at, like, my job title right now, they're, like, very similar. It's, it was pretty cool. Anyway, so I was a vice president of ASB. At the same time, one of my good friends, Seth, was the president, which was great. We were so excited because we, uh, we were quad mates, which means, like, we have four rooms that are together, and that's, so that's your quad, so there's, and there's two guys in each room, so there's, like, the eight of you are, like, a thing. You're, you're quad. You're quad mates. You're, like, your brothers. Uh, and so he was my quad mate. So we were really close. We played Halo a lot together. So we were, we were great. Uh, he was going to be president. I was going to be vice president. It was going to be awesome. And also, we went to the same church, uh, which was cool because I was leading worship at the time, and he was a drummer. And he's, to this day, one of my, my, the best drummers I've ever drummed with. Fantastic, awesome guy. So this was great. The problem is, I didn't know this at the time, but I'm a monster. <laughs> For real. I'm awful. And so when... In this context, we're, we're like, hey, like Seth would be like, hey, I think we should do this. And I go, nah, I don't want to. Like, well, I mean, I'm the, I'm the president, so you, you should just do it because I want you to. No, I don't want to. I'm not going to. You can't make me. 
That was me. So, <laughs> and Adam is laughing because I'm still this way, hopefully less monstrous, but uh, that kind of sowed the seeds back then. So when, the, when we started doing student body, it became really clear like, oh, we don't get along very well because he comes at me in a way that, that tr- makes me come at him in a way and we just clash. And, then, and there's nothing we could, could have done to figure it out. We, we tried. He would sit with the dean of students for hours and like... Later I found out, like, the primary thing you talk about was, like, how do I deal with Kevin? Like, how do I get Kevin just to do what he needs to do? Come on. I just want Kevin to just listen. Can we just, what's it going to take? And he tried all these things, and it just didn't work because I was difficult. And, you know, I am the monster in this story. It's true. But he also was not perfect. <laughs> like, he also had his stuff that he was dealing with. And so we had this really interesting dynamic where in, on ASB, we hated each other. And he was in charge of me. He was the president, I'm the vice president. And then we went to church, and I'm the worship leader and he's the drummer. And if you know anything about the worship team dynamics, that means I'm in charge, but actually he's in charge. <laughs> if the drummer decides we're gonna do another upbeat bridge, we're doing another upbeat bridge and there's nothing the worship leader can do except one of these. But it doesn't work. <laughs> but because he's not as monstrous as me, on the worship team, he would obey me. He wouldn't like it, but he'd obey me. But we just had this tension. And then we'd go to the room, and we'd just shoot each other in the head in Halo. Over and over. That's how we dealt with our, our stuff. <laughs> so it's a problem, right? Now, if we were choosing secular Christianity, we would have said, well, I don't think we have the same DNA this isn't going to work. I think we either need to find a new president or a new vice president, which means, Kevin, you're going to lose your scholarship. Oh. But that's not how we roll. That's not what we do. We both were committed to following Jesus. And at the time, we were pretty good at it. We spent a lot of time with Jesus. And when we spend time individually with Jesus, what he would do is he would ask us to pray for each other. And something funny happens when you pray for someone, particularly someone you don't like. God changes your heart towards them. And it's weird, because that person is still a monster. I was still a monster. But when God changes your heart, you fall in love with them. You see them in a way that you're like, oh, God, I see what you see in them. Oh, I see the good in them. Oh, I see what this could be. And so the more time we spent with Jesus, the more we prayed for each other, then we brought that back and we we're actually able to make it work. And to this day, Seth is one of my best friends. I love Seth. He, when I was in Vancouver at around the same time, he was in Portland. And so we would get together and uh, hang out. And he had actually, actually, I forgot about this until just now. We were accountability partners for a while. So we would call each other like every week and be like, how's ministry doing? How's life? How's sin? How, how's everything? And we were just so open and honest with each other. It turns out the most difficult person I, in college became my best and biggest spiritual ally. It was amazing. In fact, in February, I'm going to miss a Sunday <laughs> because he'll be in town and we're going to hang out instead of come to church. So sorry about that. But that's how close Seth and I are now. I know. I'll block out my dates now in Planning Center. So here's the thing. Paul's making a pretty strong case here 
that being in Christ is a better way than doing secular Christianity. And again, that's not really a huge revelation, right? Like, we all kind of knew, yeah, yes, like the good thing versus the bad thing, the good thing is the better choice. But it actually turns out that Paul is making a different argument here, a slightly different argument, is that secular Christianity doesn't actually work that well. It turns out Jesus has to do what only Jesus can do for it to work. Because if it's up to us, we're just going to find a new church family when things go wrong. If it's up to us, we're just going to try harder at not sinning. And we're going to keep failing. If it's up to us, our marriage is just going to be weird. It's just going to be dramatic. So what I've learned as a youth pastor is that I can't do church work alone. I can't just trust that I know the Bible and so it's going to be okay. What I learned during my dry season is that being a good person just doesn't work. My heart can't change and I can't be made new on my own. Seth and I tried the business practices. We did. We tried all of the books, all of the leadership principles. And those are good. Don't abandon the business principles. Use them. But they're not the thing that's going to rescue relationships. They're not, the, they're not a replacement for what only Jesus can do. Jesus had to intervene. And that's ultimately what I'm thankful for this morning. It's funny, this is Thanksgiving, right? So we're doing a Thanksgiving sermon. And as God gave me this sermon, I'm like, well, I mean, it's good, but I don't know what to be thankful for. But it's actually hidden in the text the whole time. <laughs> Look at chapter 2. You'll overflow with thankfulness. Oh, I didn't put the verse up, but in chapter 3, the third part, I'll always be thankful. I'm thankful that it's not up to me. I'm thankful that Jesus is the firstborn of all creation. I'm thankful that he reconciled us so we can be in him. I'm thankful that we don't have to be a slave to sin anymore. Instead, we can be a slave to righteousness. I'm thankful that he transforms us. And I'm thankful that we, the church family, don't have the stakes so high. We get to work things out. And even though that feels like the harder way, it's actually the better way. And in a lot of ways, it's actually the easier way. So Lord, thank you. Thank you that you died on the cross. It's so basic. It's so basic level Christianity. And yet, it's the most important thing that's ever happened for us. Thank you that, you've, that we have access to you, that we get to be in Christ, that we don't have to navigate life on our own. God, I thank you for difficult relationships because I'm so grateful that you don't throw things away, but you reconcile. And so this morning, wherever we find ourselves, would you help us reconcile to you? If anyone here doesn't know you, and they come to know who you are. And those of us who do know you, God, I want to know you more. I want to be in Christ all the time. I want to be aware of your presence. I want to spend time with you. Oh, God, I'm no longer a slave to sin, so why do I live like I am? Lord, transform us. Transform our lives. 
transform our relationships. Transform this church. In Jesus' name. Reach out in front of you with two cups. Lift up the cup that is the bread. God, we thank you. This is the direct metaphor for the thing we've been talking about. That you gave, you sacrificed your body on the cross for our sin. And so we're going to stick our finger in there and crush it. As a way of saying, I was a slave to sin. And that sin crushed you. It broke your body. And I'm so thankful that it did. Because as a result of that, I'm no longer a slave to sin. So take the bread this morning. I'm going to go ahead and lift up the, the cup as the juice. God, this is a metaphor for your blood. And I'm, it's gross to say, but I love your blood. I love the fact that it was shed on the cross for us. Thank you, God, that because of your blood, we can be transformed. This is the thing that reconciled us. This is the thing that when we were broken, that made us whole. This is the thing that when we were separate from you, this is what brought us back. So Lord, as we hold this cup in the air, we do it to say, we want to be in Christ. We want to be transformed from the inside out. We want our relationships to be transformed. So do it. Do it, God. Thank you. Take the juice.